are listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Now, here's your host, Lee Clamp. Well, welcome to another edition of the Advanced Leadership Podcast. I am here with my friend, Dr. Honorable Reverend Albert Allen, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Newberry and also serves as a uh, executive board chairman. You're the chair of the chairman of the board. And don't forget it during this whole podcast, please. Listen, I can't tell you what kind of incredible job you're doing uh, as 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 my boss. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, um, and I just appreciate all the work. Yes, sir. You can give. Yes, sir. Appreciate okay. you. And anyway, so we've got that all out of the way. Um, uh, Albert has served actually as a uh, former international mission board uh, missionary. He served uh, as a pastor around the state, and he served as a lawyer. Let's just unpack, man. Tell us about yourself. I I don't know if I'd call serving as a lawyer, (laughs) you know, (laughs) serving who. Um, Well, born and raised in Columbia, Lee, and um, met Jesus when I was 11 years old. Uh, Grew up in First Baptist Church. Did I just say that? First Baptist in Columbia and um, embarked on a very um, un- exciting average career as a Christian teenager uh, had nothing about me special at all then or now by the way which you know and so uh, went to high school and then college in Columbia never envisioned myself ever going or living anywhere but Columbia always going to be in my home church with my home boys my friends that church where I grew up was my life and uh, so in college days God got a hold of me and began to call me into ministry and uh, it's a pretty classic story or tale of resisting and denying and then shoving it aside and then coming back to it over and over again, off and over for five years. So while I was wrestling with that whole question about ministry, I finished college, went to law school, finished law school, and started practicing law over those five years. And um, I-, I wouldn't trade the experience. It, when I was going through it, I didn't want to be going through it. But looking back on it, I'm glad it went like it went. Wow, lawyer, did you ever use the line, you can't handle the truth? I never did. Um, I might use it today. It depends <laughs> on what you ask me. How do you move from being lawyer to going into ministry full-time as a pastor? Like, how, How'd that shift happen? Well, just uh, personally, spiritually, I had to prepare myself for everything that would mean. For me, it was going to mean leaving my hometown and I granted I was 26 years old so I shouldn't have that hang up but I was really a homebody mm-hmm. so I was going to leave home leave uh, this profession so to speak I never dreamed about becoming a lawyer okay in fact I, I dreamed in college about becoming a pastor but for various reasons oh, wow. I just couldn't I couldn't turn that corner some some things in the family and uh, with parents and some other some insecurities I had about leaving home so when I finally turned the corner uh, I remember calling uh, or getting in touch with the, the senior partner of the law firm and said, I got to talk. And they, they all knew. They knew basically what I was wrestling with, even though I hadn't really talked to them about it. They knew. They could see it. They could they, they could read my mind, basically. And so they they uh, were very accepting of my decision to leave their practice, and I went out to Fort Worth, Southwestern Seminary, which just for the record, that was 1987. and 1987, Southwestern was about the only seminary that you could go to that had any kind of conservative uh, stripe to it. And so I had to go that, that far to get this education. Loved my time in Fort Worth. Uh, loved getting there, but I loved leaving, too, when it was over. Mm-hmm. And uh, God brought me back to South Carolina. Okay. 
Well, let's, uh, you've got a unique experience because as a pastor, you actually um, not only left the, the, the field of being a lawyer to become a pastor, but as pastor, you actually felt called to the mission field. Unpack that for me at the at church. Well, it was um, the craziest thing. I had pastored in South Carolina, I think, for 12 years. I got back from Fort Worth, pastored in South Carolina 12 years, and then accepted a call to a church in Durham, North Carolina. So for me, that was like going to a mission field, a foreign country, and uh, it's a very different convention, very different feel up there. Um, I had never, ever envisioned myself on the mission field. I never thought about it. It's always somebody else. And every year I would preach the obligatory Lottie Moon sermon around Christmas time. And it was always to convict the people of my church that some of them ought to go uh, and, and that they all ought to give more money. And so when I got to the church in North Carolina as their new pastor, that congregation was miles ahead of me in missions, in investment, and involvement. And I, one of the first things I learned was, yeah, that there were mission teams from my new church that went all over the world. And I felt a little bit left out, actually, like, oh, no, well, I'm their leader. How, I, I've got to get out ahead of this. At least let me get into it some so I can check the box. And I went on a medical uh, team, a medical mission to the mountains of northern Thailand. Two MDs, a, a couple of RNs, and a physical therapist or two, and the pastor who couldn't do anything. And so uh, I was the waiting room evangelist. So in order to see the medical people, they had to get past me. And so I would share the gospel with them using the EvangiCube. Oh, yeah. Okay? Oh, yeah. And, and, a, and a Thai translator. And then a, a translator to translate from Thai into the language of those peoples, an, uh, an unreached people group. Wow. And so while I was over there, it's like, man, I can't believe it. this is great. God is alive and well over here. And um, so a year or two after that, I, I, took, uh, I went on another mission project uh, in the proverbial undisclosed location uh, in Asia. And um, God just called me. It was so clear. We had been working on a college campus for a 10-day cultural exchange, teaching English, but also talking about, you know, Jesus and Christianity. And it turns out there, were, there was a small group, a little house group of believers on that campus with some professors and students. And the night before we left to come back to the U.S. at the end of that project, one of the teachers who I think she was a Ph.D., I'm not positive, she was a believer, and we, we talked with them in and, and, and a kind of a dark apartment. There were about 10 or 15 of us. And she looked at me, and she was asking all these questions. Um, you know, uh, Things that we all know. If you've been in church and half awake for half of your life, you know all this stuff. Simple things that children in vacation Bible school here know. This Ph.D., 40-year-old Christian lady over in Asia didn't, even, didn't know the answer to the questions. Did Jesus know he was going to die when he came? Why did you? I know he died for me, but but why? Things that we know. And when I gave these simple answers that a chimpanzee could answer, these, a Christian chimpanzee could answer these questions, right? She looked at me and she said, "We need somebody like you to come over here and teach us these things." Mm. And I was thinking, "Thanks a lot, God." Mm. And um, so it was not. That was 2005. Within 18 months, my family was getting off of an airplane in Asia. Wow! It was wow. A, it was an amazing ride. So you leave the field of lawyer to become pastor. Then you leave the field of um, southern uh, state, Bible Belt, traditional church pastor to now all of a sudden becoming a missionary on the field in Asia. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that transition was pretty easy for your family. You just all of a sudden get off the plane and everything's great. So so tell me about that time while you were there. You were there for about four years. So tell me mm-hmm. about that time. Uh, it, it was a time of incredible um, fruitfulness and uh, fulfillment and satisfaction in ministry. Really, don't tell my church this, but really like no other time in in the in the years that God has allowed me to serve Him vocationally, there was nothing like it. It was like the promised land. Um, the, what you might expect stresses on a family. Uh, whatever stress you have in your family here, maybe if you're listening, you're a pastor or, or maybe not, but you know, whoever you are, if you got a family, there there are flashpoints and stresses and there's friction just in the normal course of living. That does not go away just because you uh, surrender, so to speak, air quotes, surrender to the mission field and you go. It's not like God just waves a wand and takes away all your problems. Your children still get sick. You can still uh, slip and fall and crack ribs, which I did, by the way. That's a story I can't tell on there. And uh, and so it, uh, stre- marital stress, if you have marital stress here, it's going to be magnified there. If you have temptation here, it's going to be magnified there. And so it was a fruitful, exciting, wonderful few years, but it was stressful, and it will take its toll. So I just want to say this to um, any of you guys that have uh, connections or friends on the mission field. Uh, when you pray for them, don't just pray, oh, God, bring in the harvest through brother and sister so-and-so and help millions of people to find Jesus and for them to plant 400 churches in the next three weeks or whatever. Yeah, I mean, pray for those things, sure, but pray for their family. Mm to be strong and for their marriage for them to stay strong and together and just pray 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 because uh it, it could be a very challenging setting to live out family life in a marriage yeah i'm thinking about you know even the season that we've gone through here with uh the pandemic and how difficult it was uh, just the stresses on the family mm-hmm. and 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 um and the kind of the altering of how we do business in in america and and just how radically different that would have been on the mission field, how exponentially mm-hmm. um, more difficult it would have been um, when you have a, a country that might be different than ours on how they do business with, with yeah. the pandemic. Um, and so our, 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 our prayers go out, obviously, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes we can just send some money and and we can send some prayers up, but uh, what else could we do? What else could we do as pastors um, when it comes to uh, uh, our local churches and the and the people that are on the field? Before I went on the field, uh, I didn't realize how important it is for field personnel to have personal connections with actual, real, identifiable people in local churches. You know, we're kind of trained to think that the Lottie Moon offering takes care of everything. Mm-hmm. And the Lottie Moon offering and cooperative program funding for the mission board, obviously uh, that is God's choice mechanism for putting people there logistically and keeping them there logistically. But there's more than staying, that there's more than logistics involved in going and staying. Emotional support, friendship, feeling like somebody has your back. And so uh, we have this idea, some people, I guess, in military, with military backgrounds, you kind of know what uh, a fire and forget projectile is. You, 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 you pull the trigger and you shoot this projectile, usually some kind of a missile or whatever, and you can walk away before it gets to the target, and it, does, it goes where it's supposed to go, it does what it's supposed to do, and you don't have to think about it. 
we treat missionaries like fire and forget missiles. We pull the trigger, we send them out, and we say, have a great time, and we'll send some money every Christmas, Lottie Moonwise. They need uh, 365 days of support, emotional support. Um, they need to know that somebody, some church back here in the U.S. knows their names, knows their children, uh, is praying for them on a daily basis, and not just praying for the ministry to succeed, but praying for them as a family to succeed, to be protected and to be strong. And so the personal touch with our missionaries, I cannot overstate the importance of that. They've got right. to feel like there's a connection with somebody here that knows their name. All right. You know, Southern Baptists have uh, the greatest missionary sending force in the world, and uh, it's all voluntary. It's just a bunch of churches getting together saying, hey, we're going to voluntarily pull resources together and try to launch these individuals. And uh, the structure of the International Mission Board, obviously you were a product of that, um, you know, the care that's given uh, through different teams, the the um, community that's, uh, that's given uh, through different uh, ministry personnel on the field. Uh, so that you're not alone. Um, and so as, I, as we think about that, sometimes we get aggravated with stuff that happens, you know, uh, within uh, Southern Baptist ranks or cooperative program. Uh, I always like to think of the person like you that's actually on the field trying to get it done. And if, and if we were going to pull back funding, if we were going to pull back because we were aggravated with something, it's the missionary actually on the field mm-hmm. that uh, that feels that probably more than anybody else from a percentage basis. And so um, that helps me. That helps me as a leader realize that, hey, a lot of the work that we're doing is to try to launch more and more people mm-hmm. to places where people have never heard about Jesus. We talk about South Carolina, 3.6 million um, lost people here in South Carolina that, that um, have access to the gospel, but for whatever reason haven't clearly heard or responded to the gospel. Um, but we've got 2 billion people on the planet that have never even had access to the gospel about hearing Jesus. So I'm thankful for, um, for guys like you that would go and uh, got to spend four years there. Uh, but then when you came back, you, you become a pastor of a, of a church, or, um, you know, a, a county seat town in the metroplex of Newberry, South Carolina. And, um, and I would imagine that you might pastor a little differently there when it comes to the mission field. Um, and so unpack that for me. Um, tell me about what, what Newberry First Baptist Church is. You've become pastor. How that's been different when you think about the mission field. First, uh, with connection uh, with the mission field, uh, First Baptist Newberry has always been strong with cooperative program giving. and has always been strong with Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong for that reason, uh, for that, you know, for the sake of that. And, uh, Janie Chapman, First Baptist Newberry. I got there, and my predecessor, Ken Harmon, my friend, had just done an awesome job over his 30-plus years as pastor of that church, setting the table for the next guy, and that was me. Uh, what uh, God has done since I've been there is he has raised up lay people uh, who have embraced the vision of not just sending funds to the nations, but going to the nations. And so making missions personal. So, yes, we do emphasize cooperative program and Lottie Moon and International Mission Board, North American Mission Board. We do all the things. We check all those boxes, and we do it sincerely. But uh, we, we kind of launched something called uh, FBC or FBN, First Baptist Newberry Direct, meaning, yeah, we're not content just to pay for other people to go and do missions. Uh, we, we want to go and be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus ourselves in addition to what we're already funding 
through other people. So uh, I don't know if this is what you're asking, but this is what I'm saying, okay? We, we have uh, developed a budget mechanism that on a, uh, every month uh, when, you know, the cooperative program, cooperative program percentage comes out and all these other the, the associational funds come out, we, also, we designate 2% of our undesignated receipts to, go in, to get plowed into our own mission project fund so that as we challenge and call out people in our church to involve themselves in missions, our church itself is helping to fund our own projects. And so, hey, you're going to go uh, to uh, Asia with the pastor and some others to go reach a UPG for a couple of weeks in partnership with a field team. Uh, the church is going to fund a third of your total expense or half, depending on what the formula is for a given year. So we try to make it easy for people to go. Uh, we don't pay 100% because there needs to be some sacrifice involved, but we, we talk about missions. We really make a big deal out of the international missions offering, and um, our uh, student ministry has been partnered with uh, the was it Metropolitan New York Baptist Association and North American Mission Board. Our student pastor, Corey Watson, a fantastic partner in ministry and crime for me. Corey has taken uh, groups of high schoolers to work with church plants in New York for uh, three summers. And uh, that has turned into a couple of the young ladies who went and did that. They have now gone and spent months on church planting teams in Vancouver and now in New York. And so we just, we've attempted. Uh, in my time at Newberry to build on the foundation of a missions framework and put feet to it more than just put dollars to it. Um, now, our church has had a connection with somebody called Builders for Christ, Baptist Builders for Christ, for 30-plus years. So we've got a bunch of guys and gals in our church that strap on you know, hammers and screwdrivers and, and stuff, and they go work and they build parts of church uh, campuses in pioneer areas in North America. So our church is very missions-minded, and we stoke that and stoke it and stoke it from the pulpit in student ministry. Uh, my student pastor, my associate Corey, has, has made it clear he succeeds in ministry when the students that come through his ministry are sent out to the mission field. That's, that's the goal, mm. and they know it. We keep it in front of them. So, um, you know, we just, we just want to be a sending church, not just a sending church. A going church, mm. a going and ascending church. Mm, that's good. Yeah. You know, you, you said making missions personal. Um, you know, a lot of times we can stroke a check, and, and the generosity is what really fuels a lot of our missionary activity, especially for those that we don't even know. Um, but when you make it personal, meaning that all of a sudden now that missionary has a face and it has mm-hmm. a name, uh, when you're able to, to develop some partnerships around the world and, uh, and actually go back uh, mm-hmm. to where you're um, – putting down a little bit of roots, you know, in some places, your, your cooperative efforts and your Lottie Moon actually um, helps fund it all. Mm-hmm. But to be able to then zero in and say, you know, what, we're going to own this city, we're going to own this place. Um, it allows you to make it personal. And, um, and, and all of a sudden, your dollars uh, actually has face attached to it. And this whole idea that you, you, you said about challenging and calling out the called, um, you know, you, you set up parameters to be able to um, send people, but then you have to call them out. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to give them the opportunity to go and give them the pathways to be able to go uh, so that when they do put their yes on the table, uh, it makes sense. So uh, have there been places, some places around the world that, um, that, that y'all have been able to make personal, like places that you've gone back to? You mentioned New York. 
Are there other places that you've been able to go back to without being too specific? Uh, through some connections that I had on the field yeah. uh, in the unidentifiable place where mm-hmm. my family uh, lived and served for four years. Um, First Baptist Newberry developed a partnering connection with field personnel in that country. Mm-hmm. And so three different projects were undertaken over the course of three years. Uh, and I led those teams. And because of where it is, the teams had to be small. You know, the biggest team was five, including me. And uh, so we went back to the same uh, county, the same villages. We went back to the same man three times, three years in a row to share mm-hmm. the gospel. The same man in the same storefront in the same – this isn't a town. This is a village in the backside of the middle of nowhere in, the back, in a backwater in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy who uh, – his hairstyle is a lot like mine. There's some open acreage on the top in the back there. <laughs> and so our connection was, you know, um, hey, man, we're brothers because we have the same hairdo. It's just, it's just funny the connections you can make with somebody in another culture. I've shared the gospel with him a couple of times. Just the last time I shared with him, um, unfortunately, he basically said, um, Mao is God. Mao is God, not mm. Jesus. Somebody had gotten to him. Mm. Somebody had known that we were going to see him, and they got in his head, and so he pushed back. But yeah, go back. Let's go back to the same area, mm-hmm. the same city, the same town. You can go back to the same people, the same people. And um, I mean, God uses that. And if you don't believe that God can change the world uh, just through one person in an area, um, you know, just read the New Testament. Mm. That's exactly right. So uh, just a final word here. You know, this whole thing started when a pastor said, uh, you know what, Um, I can't be sending out my people without getting ahead of it and and being willing to go myself. And so um, you as a pastor, um, put your yes on the table and uh, and look where he sent you. So what, what challenge would you give to a pastor who might be listening in today? First thing is don't ever uh, assume that you're not the person that God is calling out of the pastorate and onto the field. Now, your pastorate is a field. Where you serve is a mission field. But don't assume that you are set in that field for the rest of your ministry. You might be. When you give gospel invitations wherever you do that at the end of a sermon or whatever, add some of you may be being called into cross-cultural missions. You know, yeah, we invite people to come to Jesus and to rededicate their lives and uh, to join the church or take the next step of baptism. Don't forget to challenge the people in your church week after week. Hey, God may be calling some of you to leave home and to go to another country and to do cross-cultural ministry in another language. And by the way, Pastor, that might be you. And um, just be open to that and ask God, hey, have you brought me to this point in my ministry where you're ready for for me to take that next step this has been so good this has been so good albert and i appreciate your ministry here in our state and i'm sure there'll be some pastors and some leaders that may reach out to you i hope and, so uh, and just ask you hey how do i get started and um and so if a pastor does right now if he just said hey you know what we give money but we've never really even taken a mission trip well i wouldn't even know how to even book some plane tickets um what encouragement would you give them if they would say, hey, I want to get started. I just don't know where to get started. Well, I'd, I'd uh, say, let me come to you and let's talk. But the next thing, I'd, I'd send them down here to the convention building to talk to Ken Owens and Tim Rice and some of these guys. Uh, the state convention, 
uh, has what is – I can't keep up with it. I think it's five years still, four and a half, on a partnership uh, with East Asian People's Affinity Group. And there's some changes uh, happening overseas, but the State Baptist Convention, our convention, is uh, in it for the long haul with uh, – uh, the East Asian effort among the IMB personnel, and so come down here, call down, text, uh, text, email, send a you know smoke signal or whatever, get word down to Lee or somebody that hey we're ready to start. And um, Pastor, what the, the first step for me is, you need to go. Don't mm-hmm. send somebody until you've been, and then once you've been, you're not going to send people. You're going to take people. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for being with us, and uh, we look forward to um, you joining us again uh, on another episode of the Advanced Leadership Podcast. And until every life is saturated and transformed by the hope of the gospel, accelerate the advance. Thanks for listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. This South Carolina Baptist Convention podcast is made possible through the cooperative program giving of South Carolina Baptist Churches. For more information, visit scbaptist.org.